thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. The final from Comerica Park in Detroit. It's the Cleveland Indians one, the Detroit Tigers nothing. The Cleveland Indians now are on a two-game winning streak. And uh, what did I tell you yesterday? I told you after the Indians offense explodes, get ready for a low-scoring game. And that's exactly what you got yesterday. I'm Davey Barris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan. And I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And yes... We've reached that point in the season where even I'm going to do a little bit of scoreboard watching, but let's focus on the game of the field because there are a lot of things to talk about from a one nothing game. There were some things that have not that are not seen in baseball very often, including an immaculate inning and including a steal attempt of home. So let's get into it. How did it all go down? Zach Plesak on the mound for the Indians. Michael Fulmer on the mound for the Tigers. He was definitely on a pitch count. Uh, he is still working his way back. I, I believe it's from Tommy John. Uh, so they are easing him in. So you kind of knew it was going to be an opener and then a bullpen game for the Tigers. Francisco Lindor, give credit where credit's due. He gets a walk to start the game. He would actually walk twice on the day, no hits. He would steal second, but the Indians are not able to do anything in the top of the first off Fulmer. Fulmer looked really good yesterday. Of his 44 pitches, 29 were for strikes. He In his three innings, he gives up only one hit, no runs, a walk, and two strikeouts. Fulmer is looks like he is going to make a comeback. So next season, when we get a full season of Michael Fulmer, Michael Fulmer we will see how good this Tigers pitching staff can be. All right, bottom of the first, Zach Plesak actually gets himself in trouble. It didn't feel like after this first inning that Plesak was going to have a dominant start to this game. He gets Victor Rios to fly out, but then Willie Castro doubles uh, over Delano to Shields' head in center field. I didn't see a replay of this one, but from the way Hamilton called it, it sounded like the Shields thought he was going to slam into the outfield wall, so he pulled up. And then the ball just goes over his head for a double. So kind of a bizarre play there. I completely forgot that Willie Castro used to be a Cleveland Indian. He used to be in the Indians farm system. In 2018, we traded him to the Detroit Tigers for Leonis Martin. And Leonis Martin is going to play a part later in this podcast. So hang in there because it's going to come full circle. So, yeah, we gave up on Willie Castro a little bit. You know, he's a middle infielder kind of guy. And obviously we have Lindor there. And he's crushing right now for the Tigers. He's hitting 347 with a 950 OPS and five home runs. He's only 23 years old. They were talking last night on the broadcast. They don't know if he's going to stick at shortstop for them. Uh, So they're not sure exactly what his position is going to be. They're giving him an extended look at short to finish out this season. But he's not as consistent as you would want a shortstop to be, at least according to Hamilton last night in the broadcast. So, uh, yeah, Willie Castro might have been a guy that the Indians gave up on too soon because he can rake. All right, so back to this first inning. He doubles. Then Miguel Cabrera walks, so he's got runners on first and second. And uh, Plesak does not walk many people. And you're thinking he might be in a little bit of trouble here, but then he gets Candelaria to strike out swinging, and he gets Castro to ground out to end the threat. And honestly, I think that would have been the – I think that might have been the last threat, the last real threat 
that the Tigers put together until really late in this game. All right, bottom of the second inning. This is what we are talking about this morning. Zach Plesak gets an immaculate inning. And I got to pull it up last night because TJ Zuppi was smart enough to uh, get a screenshot of it and uh, send it out. So let me pull up TJ Zuppi's tweet here. If you don't know TJ, I think he writes for SI now. He's on the Selby is Godcast podcast, which is a great Indians podcast. So here it is. Here's the inning. It starts with Jorge Bonifacio, and Bonifacio and the Nico Goodrum would both be victims of Indians pitching this game. So here's the sequence. He starts Bonifacio out with a four-seam fastball, then hits him with another four-seam fastball, and then gets him to swing on an 88-mile-per-hour slider down and away for the strikeout. Then Nico Goodrum starts him off with an 86-mile-per-hour changeup, a 93-mile-per-hour fastball, and then gets him swinging, I believe. Yes, they're all strikeout swingings until Romine gets him to strikeout swinging on a 93-mile-per-hour fastball. That's six pitches. Then Austin Romine comes up, gets him to foul one off on a slider, but then gets a called strike on two more sliders to strike out Austin Romine. I guess at this point, Romine thought, all right, we're about... They probably both realized that this was about to be an immaculate inning and thought, okay, I'm going to not swing. I'm going to let him throw a ball. And he doesn't. He paints with two sliders. And he said in uh, in the postgame, he said he realized what was happening. And he just tried to throw two sliders down the middle and just on the plate, put two sliders on the plate. And they both went for strikes. They both caught the corner. And Romine goes down looking. There is your immaculate inning from... Uh, from Zach Plesak last night. I almost said TJ Zuby. There is your immaculate inning from Zach Plesak. He gets Bonifacio, Goodrum, and then Romine. And uh, as far as immaculate innings go, uh, it's been done, obviously, many times throughout baseball history. The last time it's happened to the Indians, Kevin Gaussman from the Orioles got us on April 23rd of 2018. He got Yonder Alonso, Jan Gomes, and Bradley Zimmer in an immaculate inning and nine pitches, three strikeouts. The last one to do it for the Indians was Carlos Carrasco. He did it on July 7th of 2017 against the Tigers. He got Castellanos, uh, Matok, and then Jose Iglesias. Um, and an immaculate inning. And then I believe the next one after him, we have to go all the way back to like the Manny Acta Indians here. Let me see if I can find it. Yep, there we go. Justin Masterson did it on June 2nd, 2014. Was that Terry Francona or was that Manny Acta? Oh, no, that was the Terry Francona Indians. Okay, that was early in his run. So uh, Justin Masterson does it on June 2nd, 2014 against the Red Sox. Ready for this? He gets Johnny Gomes, Grady Sizemore, and Steven Drew. You remember Grady Sizemore tried to make a comeback with the Red Sox uh, in the early teens. So uh, Justin Masterson did it. And I remember Justin Masterson. I had high hopes for Justin Masterson. He At one point, he looked like he had a stuff. That like three-quarters delivery eventually would burn him. And uh, would kind of prove that he maybe belonged in the bullpen. But for a few years there, Justin Masterson had ace-level stuff. I still play MLB The Show 2011 because I haven't upgraded my video game system since the PS3. 
So I still stay play 2011, and Masterson is an ace in that game. So, uh, yeah, good memory is Justin Masterson. All right, we'll get into more Indians memories in a second here, but those are your immaculate innings, at least in recent history. Those are your immaculate innings for the Cleveland Indians. All right, back into the game here, and please, Zach, oh, man, big smile on his face. He loved it. Indians fans got to love it. All right, let's move on in this game. More fun from Zach Plesak in the bottom of the third. This time he gives up a leadoff single to Isak Paredes. And you're thinking, all right. So this is the first batter after that immaculate inning. He gives up a single to Paredes. The fun's over. But what does Plesak do? He gets a little revenge because he twirls, fires, and picks off Paredes at first base. Again, I was listening to Hamilton have the call, and it sounded like Paredes was not that far off the bag. But he just leaned a little bit towards second base, and that's all Plesak needed. He whirls, fires. Remember, he led the league in pickoffs last year, playing only like half a season. So I don't know if it's something they teach the Indians pitchers. If you remember, Josh Tomlin was always really good at picking off runners, it felt like. And uh, I, I feel like the Indians pitchers now, some of these young guys that have come up, have really good moves. So... Um, I don't know if it's something they teach our uh, our guys in the system, but yeah, Plesak can twirl and fire. And it would prove to be helpful because then Victor Reyes would single. So that would have put uh, Plesak in quite the situation with two guys on. But then he gets Willie Castro to pop out and Miguel Cabrera called out on strikes to end the threat. Top of the fourth is probably the longest inning of the season where the Indians didn't score a run. So they bring in Tyler Alexander to replace Michael Fulmer. Jose Ramirez starts the inning off by singling on a line drive to left. Then Carlos Santana pops out to second baseman Nico Goodrum. Fermil Reyes works a walk, moves Jose Ramirez up to second. Tyler Naquin then flies out to center field. So you think maybe this rally is over. Nope, Jordan Luplo walks. Now the bases are loaded. Then with uh, Roberto Perez up to bat, Jose Ramirez was watching Alexander. And Alexander kind of was very focused on the batter at the plate, was very focused on his mechanics and what he was doing. And when a pitcher does that, that's usually the situation where a runner will try to steal home. So Jose Ramirez realizes that Alexander is kind of looking away. He's looking to the left side of the infield. He doesn't even look back at him. So Jose Ramirez breaks for home. And probably in the most exciting play in baseball, maybe the the in-the-park home run, but I feel like stealing home might be the most exciting play in baseball. Jose Ramirez dives for home. Unfortunately, he tried to slide wide and get his hand in there. And the catcher... I think it's Austin Romine for the Tigers. He's able to get the tag down. They were able to alert Alexander that Ramirez was coming, so he doesn't really make a pitch. He kind of steps off and throws home. I don't even know if the balk rules apply at that point. Once Because the, the balk rules are designed so that you can't fake out the runner. Once the runner is running, I think you know everything's fair game. So Alexander fires home, and Romine's able to get the tag down on Jose Ramirez's forearm as he's reaching for the plate. I'm telling you, they they didn't review it. Sandy Alomar waved him off. If Jose Ramirez slides directly into Romine's feet, if he slides directly for the plate, I think he's safe. I really think Jose Ramirez had it. 
even on the replay, I, he might have gotten a finger on that corner of that plate before the tag got down. But he's called out. He is out stealing home with the bases loaded to end the inning. So uh, I don't know if that's just Jose Ramirez saying, hey, I was trying to be aggressive. I thought I saw something. Or if that says anything about Roberto Perez, who's batting 160, you know, being able to get that run home and score that first run of the game. So um, either way, he is out and the Indians rally is over. Now, I will tell you that the last person to steal home for the Indians is actually Leonis Martin, who we got for Willie Castro. And Martin did the same thing. He did it against the Tigers in the eighth inning of a game on June 15th, 2019. And the Indians were up one. He was on third all by himself, two outs. And pitching for the Tigers was Alcantara. And Alcantara does this thing where after he sets, he looks down at his feet. And he does this big sweeping motion and looks down at his feet. And the second his head went down, Leonos Matin took off for home. And that time, uh, Alcantara didn't have a chance. By the time he looked up, Martin was basically on the plate. He did throw home. It would have been interesting, but uh, the catcher could not come up. It might have been Romine again. I don't know. Could not come up with the throw cleanly. And Leonis Martin stole home to give the Indians a 4-2 to lead in that game. So... It doesn't work here, but that's the last steal of home that I could find for the Cleveland Indians was Leonis Martin in 2019, and it was a heck of a play. Man, it was in front of a live crowd. The crowd, Even the crowd in Detroit uh, got up for that play. So that's the last one I could find. We'll get into more stealing home stats at the end of this because uh, we got to talk about the Indians' run here. That's right. Uh, the top of the fifth inning, Roberto Perez starts it off by flying out. Then Delino to Shields triples into deep center field. There is a wedge in center field in Detroit where in the left center, just left of center, where it is deep. And that's where Delino to Shields puts this fly ball. He legs it out for a triple, an easy triple. And then Francisco Lindor with one out. All he's got to do is put it in play, and he does. He comes through, fly ball to center field, and Delino to Shields scores easily. The throw coming home actually bounced off the mound and just kind of squirted away. I'm surprised that doesn't happen more often, honestly. Uh, A lot of outfielders like to kind of one-hop that throw into the catcher. It makes it actually easier catch for the catcher. And uh, I'm surprised we don't see more balls ricochet off the mound and go in crazy directions. So that is how the Indians score their lone run of the game. And Plesak would cruise. The, to be honest, the Tigers' bullpen would cruise from that point. Um, in the bottom of the seventh inning, uh, he gets two more strikeouts. Plesak does. He gets Harold Castro striking out, Bonifacio to fly out, and Goodrum to strike out. So he is cooking through the seventh inning. He's getting up there in pitches, but he is cooking. In the eighth inning would be the final inning for Plesak. He gets Austin Romine to line out to start it. He gets Isak Paredes called out on strikes. It would be his last strike out of the game. Victor Reyes would then single off of him, and Sandy Alomar Clearly learned his mistake from yesterday from leaving Shane Bieber in there one batter too long. So as soon as someone got on base, he went out there. He got Plesak. Plesak looked like he was in a much different situation than Bieber the other night. 
Bieber looked like he was struggling with his command. His velocity was down. It looked like he couldn't find his zone anymore. He was battling. He got even got a strikeout, but he was really struggling in that eighth. Last night, Plesak looked like he still had it in the eighth. The fastball was still crisp. He was still hitting his spots. But once he gives up that base runner, once he gives up that single to Reyes, they bring him out. They bring Karinchak in. That's right. Karinchak's going back into pressure situations. He ends up walking Willie Castro. But that's the thing about Karinchak. The strikeout is always on the table. And he threw Miguel Cabrera nothing but heat and eventually gets him to swing on a high heater and Karinchak gets out of the inning. I love when Karinchak uses his fastball because it is electric. All right, top of the ninth inning. The Indians actually have a little bit of a rally going here. Uh, Tyler Naquin walks. Luplo pops out. Roberto Perez walks. This Brian Garcia guy pitching for the Tigers was struggling. I am surprised they left him in as long as he did. So uh, runners on first and second. Delino DeShields flies out to center or flies out to left, but Tyler Naquin tags up and goes a third. Then Francisco Lindor walks. The bases are loaded now, so they go and get this guy out of the game. And uh, it was a good thing they did because Garcia was just all over. Could not find the strike zone. They bring in Gregory Soto. Uh, we have a weird injury delay where Romine gets hit on the hand by like a split or something like that, a sinker. And he has to come out. Eric Haas has to come in. You forget when a position player has to come in, they have to warm up their arm a little bit too, especially a catcher. And uh, then he eventually gets Cesar Hernandez to ground out to end that threat. We had bases loaded in the ninth. We almost were able to add on here. And it, it would have been important because Brad Hand had a classic Brad Hand kind of inning. He starts things off by getting Candelaria to fly out the left. All right, looking good. Then Daz Cameron comes up. Daz Cameron, what is he hitting after this game? After this game, he's hitting 0.71. He was hitting 0.6 something going into this at bat. Uh, clearly, clearly in one of those deep slumps that some of these Indians hitters, you remember Jordan Luplo, the way he started this season. Daz Cameron, he starts him off with two sliders. He's ahead 0-2, and then for some reason, he throws him a fastball right in the meat of the plate, right at the thighs, and Cameron laces it into uh, center field. The same spot Delino to Shields hit his triple. Daz Cameron puts one out there for a triple. And uh, he hit second, and there was no question he was going to third, especially with Delino to Shields and his wet noodle of an arm out there in center field. I'm sorry, we got to get Oscar Mercado out there in center field, especially in the ninth inning when you're trying to hold on to a one nothing lead. Get Oscar Mercado out there. DeShields' arm is garbage. I don't know if it's been like this his whole career or if he's hurt. I mean, we've only seen him for this short stint of a season. So Texas Rangers fans, if you're listening, let us know. I, I doubt any of our, but... Uh, there was no way Cameron was slowing down against the Shield, so he goes in for a triple. Now we got a runner on third, one out for Brad Hand. What does he do? He strikes out Bonifacio. If you've never watched a YouTube channel or a Twitter account called The Pitching Ninja, it's great. It's a great account dedicated to amazing pitching. The Indians end up there all the time because of our great pitching staff, and he's got a term that he uses. I don't know if he invented it, who invented it. It was the first place I heard it called Getting a Sword. And what a sword is, when you fight with a sword, you chop, right? That's chopping motion with a sword. So when a batter chops at a ball, when he tries to check his swing and ends up chopping at a ball for a strikeout, 
That's called getting a sword. And that's what Brad Hand got last night. He gets Bonifacio uh, to chop at a ball, and then he gets Nico Goodrum to chop at a ball to end the game. Two big strikeouts with a runner on third for Brad Hand, and he gets his, I believe, 13th save of the season. And uh, Bonifacio was not happy. And I'm going to be honest, Indians fans, I, I try to play fair. I try to play it down the middle. And uh, Bonifacio, I don't think he swung at that ball. I think he held up. But he is rung up. Nico Goodrum's swing went further. His sword, his chop went further than Bonifacio's did. And he is rung up strikeout swinging. So great from Brad Hand. He's got to make it interesting. He's got no one to blame but himself there. He gave up a nice meaty pitch to Daz Cameron. And uh, eventually, a guy's going to get a hit, right? So that's how it goes down. The Indians win one nothing on only five hits, six hits for Detroit. Uh, nothing really impressive from the Indians batters. Jose Ramirez has two more hits. His average is up to 280 with a 914 OPS. The only extra base hit on the day goes to the line to Shields with his triple. The only RBI on the day goes to Lindor with his sack fly. Pitching, it was all about pitching last night. Please sack, seven and two-thirds. Five hits, no runs, one walk, God, please act good, and 11 strikeouts. His ERA sits at 185. Karinczak comes in for the hold. He goes a third with the walk and a strikeout, and Hand gets a save, one inning pitch, one hit, nothing for runs, no walks, and two strikeouts. So MVP for a day, definitely going to Plesak. He moves to 4-2 and two on the season, 11 strikeouts for Plesak, and Plesak doesn't overpower guys. Um, he really just mixes really well and locates really well. He threw 46 fastballs yesterday. Uh, 41% of his pitches were fastballs. 27% were changeups. 25% sliders. And then he mixed in uh, seven curveballs just to keep guys a little bit off balance. The put-away pitch was definitely the slider. He put away 41% of batters with that slider. Looking at some of the the metrics, some of the stats they keep on some of these pitches, he was definitely getting the most swing and miss yesterday with that slider. He was getting, let's see here, he was getting around 50% swing and miss on his slider, then his changeup. He got a decent amount of swing and miss on his curve, and then his fastball was the lowest as far as swing and miss goes. Um, hard hit percentage, they were definitely, same thing, uh, they were actually hitting. When they were making contact against this slider, uh, it was hard hit, I guess. Uh, it had the hardest exit velocity, 90, 90 mile per hour exit velocity averaged off of his slider. But, I mean, that's that shows you how weakly they were hitting his other pitches. What pitches were they chasing last night? They were actually chasing his changeup a lot. Uh, he got 47% chase on his changeup and then his slider. What else? What is another fun stat here that StatCast has for us? How about the chase and miss percentage? That is actually the curveball. Uh, he got 100% chase and miss on that curveball. So when they went after it, uh, they missed it. And then the same thing with his slider, 87% chase and miss. So when they were chasing out of the zone, they were waving at those pitches. So there's a little bit of the advanced stats for Zach Plesak. They were really struggling to make outside the zone contact against him yesterday. It's his lowest of the season, only 40.7% outside the zone contact. So when they went swinging outside the zone, 
they were not coming up with anything. They were doing better inside the zone. They were at 84% swinging inside the zone. Contact yesterday, they was the lowest since his first start against the White Sox back in July. 65% contact on all swings yesterday against him. He actually wasn't in the zone as much as you would think. Only 39.3% in the zone. And his first pitch strikes were down, 53.6% first pitch strike. So sometimes we said a guy could throw too many first pitch strikes. Uh, He was at 74.1% his last time out against Minnesota. Now he was down to 53.6%. So definitely mixing it up and got 18.8% swinging strikes. So those are your advanced numbers on Plesak. That explains a little bit how a guy can go seven and two-thirds and get 11 strikeouts. So, uh, I told you I'd have some numbers on stealing home. And this is according to Baseball Almanac. This is impressive. So, uh, the guy who leads all of baseball in career steals of home. Who are you thinking? You're probably thinking maybe Ricky Henderson or someone like that. It's Ty Cobb, who did it 54 times. He stole home 54 times. Uh, The NL record goes to Max Carey. Uh, He did most of them with Pittsburgh. He stole home 33 times. The most steals in a season goes to Ty Cobb in the American League, eight times for Detroit in 1912. It goes to Pete Reiser for the Brooklyn Dodgers. He did it seven times in 1946. Uh, The most steals of home in a game, it's two. And a lot of guys have done it. For the Cleveland Indians, actually, Shoeless Joe Jackson did it back in 1912, and then Vic Power did it for the Indians in 1958. What a great name, Vic Power. That's a classic baseball name right there. Yeah, some of the guys who have stole home 10 times in their career, there are some great names on this list. Ty Cobb, Onis Wagner did it 27 times. If you own one of his baseball cards, you are a lucky person. Uh, Jackie Robinson did it 19 times. I'm just running through here. Tris Speaker did it 18 times. He might be the leader for the Indians. I'm not recognizing any other Indians' names here. Uh, Rod Carew did it 17 times. Lou Gehrig, 15 times. What's some other big names here? Uh, recently, the only recent name here I can find is Paul Molitor did it 10 times. And hey, Babe Ruth, 10 times for Babe Ruth. So that shows you how hard it has become. Clearly, this is a thing they did way more back in the day because these are a lot of old names. The the most recent name I can find is Paul Molitor, unless there's someone else's name on here I don't recognize. So uh, yeah, those are, your, those are your stealing home facts for the day. Even though Jose Ramirez didn't pull it off, it is still one of the most exciting plays in baseball. So that's all my thoughts. One nothing here. Doing a little scoreboard watching here. The White Sox have clinched a playoff spot, but they lost yesterday. So did the Minnesota Twins. So the Indians are five games back of the White Sox. Remember, we play them four times, and they're two games back of Minnesota. So right now we're in the seventh spot in the postseason. We would actually match up against the White Sox because Tampa Bay took over the first spot. But um, we have a chance of passing Minnesota here and getting back to that second spot, maybe getting a home game for the postseason. And uh, right now, the Yankees and the Twins are lined up to face each other, 
And if I were Twins fans, I would just tank to try to drop below the Indians because they do not want to face the Yankees. The Twins are on a ridiculous postseason losing streak, and it's all due to the Yankees. They keep running into the Yankees. You almost feel bad for them. I can't think. Me and my brother were trying to think of another team that's been dominated this much in the postseason by another team. And I mean, we couldn't come up with anything in any other sport. I mean, uh, the Patriots haven't beat up on somebody in the NFL like the Yankees have beat up on the Twins. Um, we were thinking maybe the Houston Rockets in basketball, but they always seem to run into a different opponent. So, yeah, so we couldn't – maybe what LeBron James did to the Toronto Raptors. That would be the closest example. The Raptors kept going up against LeBron James and kept getting beat. So that's maybe our closest example we came up with of the way the Yankees have dominated the Twins in the postseason recently. So the Indians have a chance here. We have a chance to shake up the postseason layout here. And, uh, yeah, there's still a lot of baseball left in this season. So – Coming up today, we got the Detroit Tigers again. It's a 6 o'clock start for your Saturday night baseball. It is going to be McKenzie, Tristan McKenzie, on the mound against Turnbull for the Tigers. He's a righty, so expect those lefties to be in the lineup again. And we know Tristan McKenzie is must-watch TV. Let's see what he can do to set himself up to maybe be one of the starters in the postseason. Maybe. This is what I talked about with my brother yesterday, and here's how I would do it. So we have never seen this before in postseason baseball, right? We've never had a three-game wild card series like this where it's three games at home or on the road, no off days. You got to win them. You got to win them. So we've seen what managers have done in a one-game playoff. We've seen what managers do over a five-game series. We've never seen a manager in this do-or-die three-game series scenario. So here is what I would do with the pitching, right? Shane Bieber pitches game one, obviously, right? We all have decided that. Shane, And it lines up pretty good for the Indians. He'll pitch, I believe, on Tuesday. And then if they needed him, he would pitch the last game of the season. But chances are that'll go to Plucko or be a bullpen game. And it'll line Bieber up to pitch game one. All right. So what I would do for game two and game three Clearly, your starting pitchers, your five starting pitchers, are probably five of your top seven pitchers on your pitching staff, right? Like, they're clearly better than most of the bullpen guys, so why waste them? Why waste them when you'll probably have a travel day after this series and be able to rest guys and start Bieber again in game one of the divisional round? So, here's what I'm doing. I pitch Bieber in game one. I'm then stacking my starters for game two and for game three. I'm probably going with Plesak in to start game two, and then I'm bringing Carrasco out of the bullpen. I'm saying, Plesak, unless you are pitching a no-hitter or you know pitching like a ridiculous game like you just did against the Tigers, you are going two times through the order. That is it. I'm not messing around. Two times through the order unless he's basically pitching a no-hitter, and then I'm going to Carrasco. Carrasco, you're probably getting two times through the order. That should put us in like the eighth inning. At that point, we got Karinczak, we got Hand, We've got Wickgren. We're going to finish this thing out. Then, same thing for game three. If we need it, I'm going Savali to start and then McKenzie out of the bullpen. And I'm saying, listen, same thing. Two times through the order, and then you're out, and the next guy's in. Number one, 
That obviously the third time through the order is when batting averages start to go up against guys. It's just what you would expect. The third time you see someone, you start to figure out their pitch sequencing, what the movement looks like out of their hand. So you mix things up. And then it allows that second starter to know exactly when he's coming in the game. So if McKenzie's got a long warm-up that he does, or you know whatever his routine is, he can time it out with where they are in the game and know exactly when he's coming into that game. So I would probably bring the starter in at the beginning of an inning too. So maybe if I need one more out, I go to a bullpen arm, I go to a film maiden or something like that, get that last out that I need, and then start my starter clean the next inning. So... That's how I would do it. I would stack my starters like that and hit you with two starters in one game after Shane Bieber. We'll see what happens. It's going to be something talked about for probably the next two weeks everywhere, all around baseball. They're going to talk about how are you going to line up your pitching staff for this three-game do-or-die series. So we'll see. We will see what the Indians do. All right, that's all my thoughts. I told you there was a lot to talk about for a one nothing game. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. Again, the final from Detroit. It's the Indians 1, the Tigers nothing. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about Tristan McKenzie. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Let me know your thoughts on the game, and we'll discuss them on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning. <laughs>